around choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Today, Pastor Sexton speaks about pastoring the church through your pulpit ministry. And now, here is Pastor Sexton. Good morning. I hope everybody's getting settled in. And I'm praying that we have a great morning. A lot of things going on in the world. All the conspiracy theorists are hard at work in America. I heard William Bennett say something I thought was pretty shocking. William Bennett is an educator, a philosopher, and has his degree in philosophy, eternal degree. He has served with presidents and done lots of things in political life, written a number of books, but he said, I've never been a conspiracy, never, because my pursuit, education has always been for the truth. He said, but now I've come to believe that there's a conspiracy going on. I thought that was very interesting. When I hear something like that, I think about, well, what place does God have for me? Am I, am I to sound like some intelligent man who's come to those conclusions? I could be helped by what he thinks. But I am a preacher. <coughs> I've been called of God to speak the truth in love. I'm expected to have answers. And people listen to what I say with the idea that I'm supposed to give answers, truthful answers. And I thank God, God has called me. I've said this to you before, I'll say it again and again, really. We're always trying to work on the message. What am I to preach? And all this kind of thing. But the Lord is always working on the messenger. That means you. He gives deliberate assignments to us. But uh, we're going to talk about this today. How to pastor a church through the pulpit ministry. And it may seem like something people aren't really that interested in. I'm not talking to people. I'm talking to preachers. And you ought to be, as a pastor and a preacher, and it's two different things, deeply interested in how you can pastor your church uh, through the influence of the pulpit ministry. Well, let's pray together and ask God to open our minds. How about that? That wouldn't hurt, would it? Let's pray, may we? Our Father, we thank Thee for this day, and for life and strength and health, for the opportunity to, to be here, to speak. We pray you'll guide us by your word and by your spirit. May we be true to Thee in all things. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to have your Bible open, uh, if you have your Bible with you, to the book of Jonah. To the book of Jonah. Jonah is not a New Testament pastor, but there's some things I want to say there. And I want to remind you that we have a faithful men's retreat coming up at the passage. I want you to get acquainted with this term, the passage. And we can get this as close as possible. And uh, my brother and I are going to be the speakers there at the passage. This is in Heron, Montana, it is an amazing piece of property. We're going to be there on the 19th, 20th, and 21st. That's a Thursday afternoon, all day Friday, and Saturday. And we have a few more beds 
we can fill. But what I'm trying to do is have a kind of beginning with pastors and men and uh, do all I can to help lay out the situation. Someone gave me um, a catalog, really, of all the people who are elected officials in national government. So I, I've been going through it in every state. Uh, we have the governor. Of course, it begins with the president. And by the way, don't count Donald Trump out. He's, he's just fighting away, and we just need to pray for him. I just want the right thing to be done. I want every, every vote that's legal to be counted. And uh, all we want is a truthful outcome. That's all. We're not in the business of trying to twist anything to make it come out to our, to our liking. All of us have things that are our convictions and our preferences, but we just want America to have an election process that's truthful, and they're working at that. And so I say let the lawyers and the politicians and the president and everybody that's involved in it do what they need to do so that each state can verify this is truly the vote that was cast in our state. But I, I found this, this catalog of things with the president. It has the president's picture, vice president's picture, and the wife of the president's picture in the beginning. And then the state's in alphabetical order. And then in each state divided by districts. I want to encourage you, make a few notes on this, would you please? Know which political district you live in. What is your district? There are nine congressional districts in the state of Tennessee. I live in the state of Tennessee. And there are nine congressional districts. I live in the second district. Uh, around 600, uh, maybe, yeah, 600 and Let's see, um, 650,000 people, typically around that number, make up a congressional district. So all, all the states are represented by a different number of representatives in our republic, but Tennessee has a population of 6.5 million people now, and so we have nine congressional districts. And I live in the second district. My congressman now is the former mayor of Knoxville, Tim Burchett. But every state has congressional districts. And every state has two senators to have equal representation in the Senate. Have two senators. Know who your senators are. Our senator right now is Lamar Alexander, and he's retiring. And um, Bill Haggerty will take his seat. And Marsha Blackburn, um, both are friends of mine, but they're the United States senators who represent us, our U.S. senators, yes, who represent us. But know that. Now, they have a message. They have a responsibility. They have a message. And sometimes we allow that to get so top-heavy we think they're the most influential people in our country. They are influential. I've gone through every congressional record of all 435 representatives, and I've been very interested in seeing who are the Catholics, who are the Jews, who are the Baptists, very few of them, and... Um, then there are some people who are atheist. They don't say that. They give an identity to some religion. For instance, like I said the other day, I think to all of you, that uh, Bernie Sanders is a Jew, but he's an atheistic Jew. That means that he lives in a life of spiritual darkness. So you expect certain things that are spiritual darkness to come, to come from that. But who is your congressional representative? In what district do you live? 
as a minister of the gospel, and especially as a pastor of a church, you need to know who that is, be acquainted with them, and they need to know who you are. And don't just communicate with them during times of <coughs> trouble and crisis like we're having now. Build relationship with them. Do that also in your local area. If you live where there is a mayor or there is a, we have um, a county board and a city board because we don't have a metro government in Knoxville. And I know who our county representative is. And I know the county mayor personally. When I lived in Patterson, New Jersey, Frank Graves, Frank X Graves was his initial X, was our mayor of Patterson. Patterson was no no tiny city. It was a big city and a powerful city. Located 11 miles from New York City. Frank Graves was a state representative and the mayor of Patterson. And he was a powerful man. I got acquainted with him. I ministered to him, to his family. Uh, he had a special needs daughter, and we tried to help her. But he was my friend. He wrote me a letter when I left Patterson and said, it's like losing a family member. Uh, he went to be with the Lord not long after that. He was Catholic as far as identifying with his faith, but he had been born again. And, uh, but I made it a point to send him congratulatory notes when he was elected. I sent his office uh, a beautiful bouquet of flowers. Uh, they, know who, they knew who I was. They knew what our church was about. And uh, we were influencing one another. And I'm not saying to you that that's your life. But times like this make us realize that we need to be more specific. Remember, one of the things you learn is nothing is dynamic until it's specific. Nothing is real until it's personal. Uh, the governor of the state of Tennessee is named Bill Lee. He was a businessman. He was in a very contested race. Finally, he won the governorship. And uh, I got acquainted with him through that. He is um, a big guy in trades and technology. So we, we, we uh, had an affinity for that type of thing. Um, his first wife died in a horsing accident. She fell off a horse. And his baby was spared. He found his baby in some bushes. His wife was killed. Then he married again. Married a woman who was the teacher for his children. <coughs> Her name was Maria. But I know enough about him. He's a saved man. He and our uh, U.S. Senator, Marsha Blackburn, started a church near Nashville. They helped a pastor and helped start a church wasn't a Baptist church, but as they say, it was an evangelical church and a soul-winning church, a witnessing church. But it's good for me to know these people, and when I see them, they know me and I know them. You, you need to let people know who you are, and you need to know who they are. It doesn't make any difference how old or young you are. And if they've gotten some, if you're going to meet them somewhere, write them a note, tell them. I'm going to be there. I'd like to. I'd like to meet you. They're very interested in anyone who can influence voters. It doesn't make a difference who you are, and the more the merrier for them. But we're right in the middle of all of this, and uh, I'm trying to give you a little background here because what they're doing is not as important as what we're doing. There's nothing more important going on than what you're doing. And we need <coughs> to do as well at it as possible. The email I sent you said all of us can improve our preaching. And so how can we lead our churches from the pulpit? How do we do that? What place does preaching have in the ministry of a pastor? Are there practical ways to improve our preaching? Now, I want you to be as faithful, and I want to be as faithful as humanly possible. Our church is organized to function. It's organized through the Sunday school. Our staff is organized so we can take care of people's needs. 
we organize so that no baby is born in our church family without us knowing about it, and there are things it sets in motion. When the mother's expecting, we know that. When she goes to the hospital, we know that. We have certain things we bring to the baby. If it's a boy, these things we bring to the baby boy, these things we bring to a baby girl. There are certain things we do immediately for a mother when she goes home from the hospital. Now, many of them are having babies at home, and um, that, that changes the dynamic a little bit, but the same process is taken. As the child uh, arrives in the world, that child is enrolled in our cradle role in our preschool ministry. And we know that. That's a part of the pastor's work. Certain gifts and books can be given to the child as she starts or he starts life. As they grow and develop other things they plug into. And we walk with those people through life. And so whether it's children and children's ministries or teens or young teens and teen ministries or teenagers and teen ministries, uh, young adults or young adult ministries, I may have somebody working with me in all those areas, and I do have someone working with me in every one of those things, aiding the pastor, <coughs> excuse me, and assisting the pastor. But at the same time, I'm the pastor of the nursery. I'm the pastor of the children's ministry. I'm a pastor, the, the pastor of the teen ministry. I'm the pastor of the, the young adults. I'm a pastor of the couples. And all the way it goes, we've seen the necessity lately to enlarge the work that we're doing with our senior friends um, because the needs are great and there are many complicated things that they, that they deal with. So I have someone that serves just with senior friends. That could be a layperson, and in most cases it is a layperson, a layperson as the youth director or whatever. That's great. If they're all lay people, that would be the best. But I'm still the pastor of them. Now, that's not for them only. It's for me. I don't want anybody to think, of course, that I'm no longer interested in their life because I'm going to bury them. <coughs> Sorry. And um, deal with those things. But... <clears throat> At the same time, I needed. I had a young young man who didn't know if he wanted to be a pastor or not, and he said, "I I don't love any. I don't like anything around the fringes. No funerals, no sickness, no visitation, no weddings." And I'm thinking to myself, "He's never going to have the heart. You don't use the sermon illustration." of their experience, but it prepares your heart to be able to speak to the needs of those people. You understand how that works? Now, of all things, God has given you the place to be the spokesperson. And I want you to write just a few things down. I want you to know I've got this entire notebook uh, full of lectures and two more notebooks full of lectures about pastoring a church and preaching. And uh, I could talk about any of these things. Uh, leading the New Testament church from the pulpit, preaching without notes, the right message to the right people, that's a very important one. Um, Christ honoring church services, a good minister of Jesus Christ, parts one and two, teaching others through Bible preaching, how you teach at the Bible through your preaching. And, uh, and that's two, two different lectures. Preaching sound doctrine, how your messages should be laced with doctrine. Doctrine is like your skeletal system. You have a skeletal system. You have a circulatory system. You have a muscular system. You have a nervous system. You have a skeletal system. They've named the bones. They know the bones, how many bones you've got. Uh, because of my medical experience, my nervous system and my muscular system, my skeletal system has all been traumatized. And I'm trying to deal with all of that. But the skeletal system supports your body, and every bone is important, and that's the way God made you. Bible doctrine is like the skeletal system of what we're doing. It holds us in place. 
And, um, and so when you're preaching and teaching the Bible, you're giving, you're giving structure that holds things in place. The Lord Jesus Christ left the church two things. He left us ordinances. Those are the things he ordered that we do. Baptism of the Lord's Supper. Our free will Baptist friends believe that foot washing is another ordinance. But uh, I believe it's a good thing to do to wash your feet, as Dr. Hudson used to say. But, uh, but I don't think it's an ordinance. It doesn't qualify, with, in my thinking, as an ordinance picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and reminding us of the cross. But he left us ordinances. These things he ordered that we do. We call them ordinances. And then he left us doctrine. Doctrine is our belief and teaching. And there's always a weakening of that. That's why I enjoy saying I'm a Baptist. It's not Baptist to brag about. It's Baptist to be grateful for. Because you can identify the, the irreducible body of truth that Baptists hold to. We hold to it and it holds to us. That's Spurgeon's way of putting it. Spurgeon had a beautiful statement he made about Baptists. It's in his um, Park uh, It's in the uh, pulpit, Metropolitan Pulpit, lectures, sermons. If you don't have a copy of it, I can send you a copy of it. Email us and our helpers here will make sure you get a copy of Spurgeon's statement on Baptists and make sure they include the reference where they can find it. This day and time, you know, uh, you need to give those footnotes and things because people just say everything like it's a quote. That, but if you want that, I'll send it to you. But he left us, left us that, and he talked about our doctrine. So how to, how to preach on Bible doctrine. And then meditations for the shepherd and sheep. I've already offered that to you. May I see that little booklet? Yes. I made a booklet of it. And one of you can find the... One of you can find the uh, library workbook also. It's here somewhere. But this is what I offered to you on uh, preaching. And then there's a lecture on the man of God. And then there is um, on, the, on the second coming in the scriptures and the, how the pastor deals with that. Speaking the truth in love, preaching the word of God, not about the word of God. And um, God, what God says specifically to shepherds. And then uh, on it goes. And then there are two notebooks. I think John Kokenzie's with us today. John helped me put these things together, some of this stuff, years ago. And uh, then I have two more notebooks just on preaching. So... We could talk about a lot of things, a lot of things, but I'm going to confine myself to just certain things today, and I, I want you to try to stay with me, if you will. I said the other day you could preach your way out of a problem. Dr. Robertson says, if you're still the pastor and you have the pulpit, remember you still have the power of the pulpit. If I were you, I'd take my pen and I'd write down that expression, the power of the pulpit. That's not for you to stand up and say to people, I've got the power of the pulpit. No, no. It's for you to know you can use the power of the pulpit. And you can influence the church. And you can emphasize certain things. And so... Where will I start? What do, what do I need to talk about? Can I just be personal with you? Is that all right? Would you nod your heads and I can hear the rattle uh, through this media? You know? Okay. Charles Spurgeon, and we quote him a lot. That's because so many stuff, so many of his things were in print. And he, we've got William Joseph Harold to thank, uh, Joseph William Harold to thank for that. And uh, Susie. Spurgeon's wife to thank for that. She thought she'd ruined the life of the greatest preacher when she became an invalid, but she's the one that started the book fund and got his message sent out to people. God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Some people have to go through a lot of suffering, but heaven will be richer for them. 
This is, this is something Spurgeon said. He said, if I, can, if I can have the opening prayer, I want you to write that expression, opening prayer. If I can have the opening prayer, I can determine the direction of the entire meeting. And I, I say to you, and I love you, many of you I know so very well, you're like my own sons and brothers in the ministry. Give more attention to your opening prayer. You're approaching it. <clears throat> Don't be flippant. The walk you walk from your chair to the pulpit. Don't fool around at the pulpit before the service starts. Don't go up and lay stuff around. Check. When you mount the pulpit, when you come to the pulpit, the people need to know our pastor is in his place. I won't even I won't even uh, go up and change the way the microphone is. <clears throat> the men who work with me here know that sometimes I've asked them to pick up something or do something or make sure something's there. But I am I am not gonna I'm not gonna fool around because when I get to that pulpit, I want our people to know the pastor is in his place. He's in his place. And <clears throat> I may make some remark. <clears throat> I learned this from Dr. Criswell when I was just a boy preacher. Dr. Criswell also always said, Welcome to this meeting of the First Baptist Church in Dallas. And he made a point to teach preachers in his schools of the prophets that he did not say, Welcome to the First Baptist Church. Because he said, this building is not the First Baptist Church. And all of our people are not in this meeting. So he clarified it by saying, welcome to this meeting of the First Baptist Church in Dallas. And I would say to our people almost every time, welcome to this meeting of the Temple Baptist Church. And every one of those words is chosen and used specifically. And by the way, it's good for me to know what I'm going to say so I don't get up and dabble around and get distracted by something. Welcome to this meeting of the Temple Baptist Church. And most of the time, I would say, thank you for coming. I said that, I say it all the time, but I said that in the presence of a man he came to me after the service and he said, I've been going to church. He was visiting with us. He said, I've been going to church for 60 years. And this is the first time I ever heard a pastor thank, thank people for coming. It's as though most pastors get to the pulpit and act as if, well, all you lucky sinners have been able to come. You're going to get to hear me now in just a moment. But take, it, take the attitude about it. that Those people made an effort. You appreciate the effort they've made. As a matter of fact, many of them in our kinds of churches changed everything in their routine to be there. They don't dress like that all the time. They dress that way for church. <clears throat> they don't meet a deadline on what they would call a, a off-work day. But they've given a priority to the church and to worship, and to the Lord's day. And it's not a habit. It's, it's a response of the heart. Let me say that. It's a response of the heart. That's what mores are. Answers and response of the heart. To be able to say to the people, you love them, and you thank them for coming. If they weren't there, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Now, this needs to be emphasized. It can be overemphasized. There's a group you preach to on Sunday morning that's not exactly like the preach group you speak to on Sunday evening. There are people on Wednesday evening that are not exactly like the group that you speak to on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, I have a lecture I give on preach the right message to the right people. If you're going to straighten out 
you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry and get, you know, uh, ring it out one from one end to the other, uh, that may be the crowd that needs to hear that on Wednesday night. Or even, maybe even just the workers need to hear that. There's strong things I say to our workers in our workers' meetings, and I, I have designed the workers' meetings so that I can say those things that are stronger than some of the things I would say in the Sunday night or Wednesday, Wednesday night or Sunday night or Sunday morning meeting. But we're doing, really talking about beginning the meeting. Beginning the meeting. And you're, you're starting the, the pastor from your pulpit, from your church, by the very way you approach the pulpit. Now, one of the things I have to do, I have to get there. I have handrails to walk up. There's several steps up to our pulpit. I have a certain seat that I sit in as the pastor. Now, I could say I don't really care where anybody sits, but I do. I've been in the hospital a lot. I've been out of the pulpit for sometimes for weeks with nine reconstructive spine surgeries. <clears throat> And some people couldn't wait to sit in my seat, it seemed, at least. Maybe that wasn't it. But I actually had members in our church say to them, that's not your seat. I didn't say that to them. Never did. <clears throat> but I had people in the church say, that's not your seat. That's the pastor's seat. Now, that may be right or it may be wrong. And someday, somebody will have to sit in it. But it's almost like, not exactly, but in a sense, the President of the United States. We're to pray for whoever that is, man or woman. We're to respect whoever that is because of the honor we give to the place and position, not necessarily to the person. When Barack Obama was President of the United States, I taught our people, don't ever say to me, Obama. Always call him President Obama. Because I knew if they diminished the office of the president because they didn't like him personally, excuse me, or like his policies, that that would bleed over and someday some person with policies we agreed with more would be getting the same disrespect it's the office that we're respecting, okay? And then also um, children catch up things, you know? Uh, if you hear kids start saying, Trump, it's President Trump. That's the way it ought to be. Now, we're talking about this as, it, as, it, as an analogy to a pastor. I love for the people to call me pastor. I, I, finished, I finished a doctor of ministry's degree Everybody could call me Dr. Sexton. I've been given three or four honorary doctor's degrees. Everybody could call me Dr. Sexton. I get no kick out of that. And I don't sign any letter, Dr. Sexton. And you might, and that's good. The only time sometimes they use that is when they're calling somebody in political life and they'll say, Dr. Clarence Sexton wants to speak to you or something like that. That may be good. I don't even know of them doing that, but... I love the term pastor, shepherd. It is a physician of the souls of people. You're their soul physician. And the pastor can make the lawyer a better lawyer. He can make the housewife a better housewife. He can make the businessman a better businessman. He can make the president a better president because you're speaking to the soul. You're speaking to the spiritual, and that's the job you have. You may have the bank president <clears throat> in your church, but you're helping him be a better bank president and a more committed, honest man by the preaching and pastoring that you're doing. I just want you to get a hold of that. When God reached down and touched your heart and called you to serve him this way, uh, it's not second place to anything. <coughs> I've been out of town in the middle of a storm. And I think I brought some of it back. I just got back last night. But anyway, <clears throat> beginning. 
So you haven't said a word yet. Not a word. But you came up to the pulpit. Our people watch every step I take. Now, I, I, I made a habit. A habit. It's only a habit. Nothing sacred about it. But I carry my Bible in my hand everywhere I go. And I try to never let it out of my person. And so they see me carrying my Bible. Years and years ago, when we built a new auditorium, that's more than 20 years ago now, we had no no, no, no rails to come up. And a, a dear lady wanted me to have a rail to walk up. I thought, well, you know, what's, what's the rail? And she spent $17,000 to have these steel rails with um, a metal brass encasement on the top of them. I know what I do now <clears throat> because I use the arm strength to move and get up. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, and I'm not exaggerating, there'd be a hundred people who could tell you how well I walked up or how much I struggled to get up. And if somebody is a first-time visitor or somebody's a guest, they come up to me and say things sometimes like, I didn't know you were crippled. And I say, dear Lord, man, I'm not crippled. This is just the way I enjoy walking to get all the sympathy I can get from everybody I can get. But you see, they watch everything, how you approach the pulpit. And then I go to my seat. I try to stand up long enough to greet the people there. I say to our staff people who are there, always acknowledge every person who comes to the pulpit. If somebody's called up to pray, when they get up, you stand up for them. When there's a lady that comes to sing, you stand up for that person. Now, I could even get a little more specific. I don't like for men to sit on the pulpit, to sit on the pulpit with their legs crossed and their foot showing like that. What's redeeming about the bottom of my shoe? What's pleasant about that? I don't even like that. So, now, not everybody's as particular as I am, but I'm just saying that's a sacred place and a sacred thing to me. And uh, years ago, it got to be a senior pastor, junior pastor, intermediate pastor, um, baby pastor, a starting pastor. And so people love to say, uh, I'm the senior pastor. I didn't come up in that. I'm sorry. I know it's well-meaning, and, and everybody needs a title. Uh, but I just say, Pastor. That's here, Pastor. And someday, someone else will be the pastor. And I'm trying to train that person now, whomever it may be. And uh, I've gotten to the juncture in life where I'm not ready quite to give it up, but <coughs> I'm thinking who will do it. And then there is an opening prayer. And so, when the service is ready to begin... We have a call to worship. You may not do that. Maybe that's silly. I don't know. It's just something I've done all these years. We used to sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And on. I feel like Joe Biden. I can't remember the rest of it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I could sing it. I just wanted to get something in today about that. But <laughs> anyway. Anyway, a call to worship, it sort of says to the people, we're ready to worship God. If I got my preferences, the organ and the orchestra is playing pre prelude music, I would tell them and teach them and train them, don't play the, the biggest fight song we've got in the hymn book right before I come. Uh, I'm too temperamental for that. And... And they get the service down where it's ready for me to get up and speak. Welcome to this meeting of the Temple Baptist Church. God bless you. I, I'm very grateful that you're here. Thank you for coming. Then I welcome the people on the radio. welcome the people who are watching on the Internet. And then we're ready to pray. And when we pray, I ask them to join me in prayer. To participate in the prayer. 
Now, I'm not sure if many of them do, but I'm going to tell you this. I know that many of our children and young people do. Many of them. And they know it's their time to pray with the pastor in the pastoral prayer, praying and asking God's blessing. I think this is important. I've seen so many church services started so flippantly, just so flippantly. And no reverence, no fear of God, no even thought about God. Now, you won't believe this, but it's true. I'm going to tell you again, you're not going to believe it, but it's true. I've been asked to come and preach in churches where they didn't pray at all. I'm talking about didn't pray at all. So, if you're going to pastor your church from the pulpit, it begins with your thoughts and ideas about God and about the pulpit, about your responsibility, and about you being the pastor. And as far as I'm concerned setting so much in motion as you come to pray with the people and they give their attention to the things of God and enter in. Now, James, I'm going to ask you some questions in just a moment uh, off the cuff uh, because you learned some things in England and we can be, we can be, uh, we can be so, so silly about it we don't want anybody to grunt. I know I was with the uh, a lady, and I love Dr. Masters, and I love his wife, Jill. And I love what they're doing. I love their evangelistic Sunday school. I thank God for them. And he preaches and teaches the Bible, and he's my dear friend. But he shows very little emotion. And that's fine. They're used to it. I know I was sitting with uh, Sally Goodman in one of the services there one time who is from the Church of England, she says she's saved, and she was a guide and a good friend. And we came out of the service later, and Sally said, I just wish every once in a while somebody would say amen or they'd just get a little emotional about it. Because she said, sitting there listening, I got emotional myself about some of the things he was saying, but he didn't. So I want to try to leave that aside. Everybody has their same temperament. Uh, I know one time... When I was working with Dr. Robertson, I'd pastored for two, two churches. I pastored the Greenback Memorial Baptist Church in Greenback, Tennessee. It was green as a gourd. I don't know why those people put up with me, but they did. And had the nicest things to say. And when I'm really troubled, Greenback's a good place for me to go. Not just in my mind, but sometimes get in the car and drive. I can get there. Precious people. Precious people. And the Calvary Baptist Church in the North City. But when I went to to help Dr. Robertson, I didn't go there to help him. I went there to, to, to go to seminary. I finished college at the University of Tennessee and was going to seminary. So I changed from a Southern Baptist seminary to that seminary. And uh, before long, Dr. Robertson asked me to be an assistant pastor at the church. And I was so grateful for that. So grateful. And Dr. Faulkner, who was Dr. Robertson's right-hand man, who was helping him all those years, said to me, Clarence, you're going to have to calm down. Now, not when you preach, but when you're giving announcements and things. He said, your announcements have as much enthusiasm as your preaching. And there ought to be some difference, some measure of difference about that. Well, you know, I, I, I took that to heart. And I thought, well, I don't have to. I'd always just, man, I want them to be there, you know. And so I would just pour it on the, the fire. But he says, when it comes time to preach, you're going to have some of that to do. But there's something called regulative worship. I want you to explain what that is, would you please? Uh, regulative worship is Can something... Can you hear James? Nod your head there. Can you hear him? Thank you. Regulative worship is something that... Now what are you saying? Reg regulative. So the idea of a regulation and regulative worship uh, really came out of the Baptist people who uh, rejected infant baptism. Uh, many people make the mistake of thinking that the regulative principle is only uh, something that came from the reformers. But historically, we see that Baptist people throughout history have really led the charge in the idea of regulative worship, which is simply this, that the only 
things that we do in a worship service in a church are the things that we find done in the New Testament in a church. So the idea is that God has mandated a certain form of worship and what we do. And you find it in the Bible. That's correct. And so if you don't find it in the Bible, why are you doing it today? That's right. So So, so if we're going to become a first century church, we should be involved in regulative worship. Yes. I want you to explain it again because it's not the easiest thing to grasp. Right. So there are really two different types of worship. One is normative. Charismatic groups would have that today. Normative worship says anything can be used in the worship of God unless it is specifically prohibited Examples. in the Bible. So, for instance, the Bible doesn't tell us that we can't have a hip-hop artist in church or have uh, some type of dance or drama so because the bible doesn't prohibit it drama uh hip-hop artist that must be fine that's the idea of normative worship if you don't mind because you can answer this 12 years in england it helped us in this but um you mentioned hip-hop um just because they don't find the Bible. They just say, well, I could do that. Is that what you're saying? Right. The idea of normative worship, which is what many of the charismatics use today and other groups as well, is to say, well, if the Bible doesn't specifically prohibit it, then it's okay to use in worship. And, you know, we're not big on the Reformation. I, I, I think we haven't appreciated, really, many yes. things that happened in the Reformation. Yes. Because Baptists didn't come out of the Reformation, in my idea. You right. know, we existed before the Reformation began. Yes. Uh, and we're holy adherents to the truths of God's word from Christ and his disciples all the way through. But uh, the Reformation got rid of so much of that normative worship, didn't it? Yes. Can you give examples of all that drama and all that well, bone know, the, selling and all that? The Roman Catholic Church really popularized normative worship and the idea that we can uh, pray to the saints, we can have relics, we can uh, walk up and down the steps on our knees and kiss statues and because the bible doesn't specifically prohibit some of those things then it must be okay to do that normative worship really finds its home in the roman catholic church but baptist people our baptist forefathers had an understanding of the regulations that god sets on worship in the word of god so way back to cain and abel god would not accept will worship from a man he rejected cain's sacrifice because God mandates how he is to be worshipped. Uh, look at Uzzah and the Ark of the Covenant. All these things that God mandates throughout the Old and New Testament. And the New Testament church, uh, a local body of believers, is to not just invent their own form of worship. It is to follow the New Testament. There are seven elements that, that people have said, these are things we find in the New Testament that are to be done in the church service. Just off the cuff prayer, singing, singing. Uh, giving preaching, exhortation, which could be include testimonies or something like that, uh, praying, that's the fifth one, and then the two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. But so now, those seven now today, people have even coined terms like, now, now we're going to worship, and they, they do all these things and call that the worship. Right. So you have a worship service, which is before the preaching. So our worship leader and our worship team sing and we turn the fog machine on and we turn the strobe lights right. on and now we're going to worship and unfortunately we have to listen to some guy get up and preach a boring sermon it sounds time. ridiculous to us but that's what's going on yes and what it's done is minimize preaching so they will say now we've worshiped now let's let's have the preaching like now okay hold on we've got the most boring thing on the face of god's earth going to come now and i hope you can Hope you can hold on a little while longer because it's going to be tough. This 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 sad preaching is going to, you know, ridiculous. Right. Now, can we ask talk about something between God speaking, man speaking, answering yes. back to God? Can you talk a little about that? So the idea of regulative worship is the way it is. As Pastor mentioned, the first thing we're doing is we're speaking to God. Right. And in, in acknowledging prayer. him. And we're acknowledging who he is. We're beginning with God. We're starting with God. We're not starting with maybe prayer requests or uh, what's wrong with the world, but we're beginning Even in our church, God. we would not sing, we'll work till Jesus comes right. until we sing a great hymn about who God is. 
Pastor Sexton has been very helpful to teach us and, and many others the idea that when we come before the Lord, we, we need to be objective. It's not all about us. That's really the modern worship idea. It's all about us, how I feel, what I think. But worship is mandated by God. And when we begin to worship, as the pastor mentioned, we start in prayer and then we sing a hymn about God and who he is, and we worship him in that way. So we don't carry on with this nonsense. It's been a terrible, hard week, and we've all been suffering. You know, I don't know how we're going to live through it. Baloney. God's on the throne. Not one thing has changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is from everlasting to everlasting God, right? Yes, and lifting people's eyes up to God instead of the world or themselves, worshiping God. So... Now, we're, we're talking about preaching, but we're talking about, we're really talking about God. I wanted to bring with you uh, my, my notes, my, with me, my notes on <coughs> the book of Jonah. And this is going to be in printed form, but here are 13 messages I gave on the book of Jonah. And it begins with the word of the Lord came, then it's time to arise from our sleep and into the sea with Jonah, whatever. But what is the great thing? What, what's the great thing that has to happen? Um, we, we have to learn who God is and what God wants. What's God's aim? What's the Lord's desire? What is it we need from God? How is God going to speak to us? And so you, as the preacher and pastor in the pulpit, you're guiding people to God. It's almost like, I'm going to use a little different posture here. It's almost like I'm out of the way. I just want you to see the Lord. I, I want you to understand God has something for us. And that's the preaching you do. You have found the Lord speaking in His Word. You found God dealing with us in His Word, and you're you're allowing the people to see how how God speaks and deals with us. So, you're pastoring your church from the pulpit and through the pulpit. There's a difference between preaching and pastoring. The Bible says the shepherd, the good shepherd, loves the sheep and gives his life for the sheep. You can have somebody in to preach. And they can and bring a wonderful message, a helpful message. But that's different from pastoral preaching, shepherding preaching. I must tell you the story about the fellow who told me he had some trouble in his church, and he was with me, and he said, I'm going back home, and I'm going to straighten them out. I'm, I'm going to have a family talk. And I said, when you finish having a family talk, do you still want to have a family because his idea coming across was, I'm going to have a, a family talk, and I'm going, to, I'm going to talk the family out of here. But that's not, that's not a pastor. That may be a wounded person, a preacher, or, but a pastor is going to have a conversation to strengthen and help. And even though it's difficult, and he may have something that hurts him deeply, he wants them to all be together when he's finished. Um, and you're, I'm applying this to preaching. Now, I meant to talk about everything in the world, and we'll have to do this again, but some of you birds say, well, I don't, that won't tell me how to get 15 more people in church, so I'm not interested. Well, that's what's wrong with your church, dummy. And, uh, you know, that's not what it's about. Uh, God will give the increase. Do you think you're building it? Do you? Well, if you do, Mr. Big Bridges, God will let you find out who's building it, but it's the Lord. I've got one responsibility, and that's to enjoy obeying the Lord. And God will give the increase. Now, someone's asked, how should a Christian deal with the decline in personal drive and motivation for the work of the Lord? Find out what encourages you. David could not be king of Israel. He could not. Till he went to Ziklag. And all of them said, let's kill him. And he learned one thing. He learned how to encourage himself 
in the Lord. Now, I believe it's going to take God's presence, God's spirit. It's going to take communication with God. It's going to take God's word. But it may take doing that by a mountain stream. It may take that by playing with your children or something. But find out what encourages you. I, I have... I don't think there's anything unique about what I do. I don't think there's anything unique about how I preach. I'd like to take the time to talk about it. But uh, I give myself goals, and then I work toward them. And everything I'm doing, I give myself goals. I even do that in announcing sermon titles. Then I work my way to it. It gives me time to meditate upon it and think about it. And so the Spirit of God brings to my table... I mean my table figuratively, all the things I need to mention. So find out what encourages you. And uh, I don't think I can regain everything I've lost. I really can't. But I can find new ventures. The Lord's work is great enough, big enough for that. Another question you wrote is, how is your personal stand on versions of the Bible? Well, I came to conviction that I'm going to use only in preaching and teaching the um, authorized King James Version of the Bible. I never vary from that. I don't like to hear anyone correct that. Um, I may say, and this word means, if I'm talking about the second coming of Christ, uh, we may read the passage in Thessalonians about we shall not precede them or prevent them, and I'd say, or precede them. I may do something like that. But there, there are archaic words. They're no longer used in the English language. But the fact of the matter is, at the zenith of the English language, we were given the authorized King James Version of the Bible. It's our degenerate minds that have messed with the language. And I just love it. I love it. I love memorization from it. I love it. I love the power of it. I love it. How do you choose your topics to preach? Will you let me give a whole lecture sometime on preaching? I read and study something until God gives me a phrase, an expression, and I think, that's taken me, that's gotten me. That'll get me. Um, and I don't try to be, I don't try to be the only man that's ever lived that preaches on that. That's silly. It's like Vance Havner said, I knew Cyclone Sam, an evangelist, and he said, I'm going to either be original or I'm going to be nothing. And Vance Havner said, and soon, sooner than he thought, he was both. You know? So how do you choose your topics? I just let God speak to me. I'll read. Sometimes I get two or three in a chapter, and sometimes I don't, but... Uh, I'd love to talk to you about that if you'll let me. You know, it's really hard for me to say something like that because I think I don't know it all, but I know some things that will help you. What can I do during the invitation to prompt my people to give a response? I have an entire lecture or two I give on the invitation. Would you just mark that and I'll... Would you like me to talk about how to give a gospel invitation? Okay, Frank, I'll do it just for you. All right, good. Um... <laughs> What do you do in preparation to preach? Well, I study. <laughs> uh, I think meditation is the missing ingredient in preparation. So that means preparation must begin early enough so you can meditate upon what you're going to say. Meditation. Uh, because God then speaks to you and deals with you about things. And... Uh, you get more comfortable with it. And I've told you before, sometimes I've got a great sermon in the study. I love my place to study. And that thing, that thing, he didn't just walk and talk. That sermon in that study just lived and shouted and moved and, and, and thousands came to Christ. But then I got that thing to the pulpit at church and it just laid down and died. I wanted to kick it in the head and say, you know, what's wrong with you? You were, you were screaming and yelling and you're really carrying on in the study, but now you're dead as a doornail out here in the pulpit. You understand what I'm talking about, all right? I want to say this before we go. Some of you can get to the passage and you can get there. Call our people.
Call my buddy, uh, Greg Boyle. Call him. Tell him you're coming. Call Dan Grover, our man in at the passage, and let him know you're coming. We're going to have the greatest time you can ever imagine. Now, for years, I put together, <clears throat> look, <clears throat> page after page after page of preferred books <clears throat> and under Bible study methods, interpretation, hermeneutics, Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias, Bible geography, concordances, language tools, uh, Bible names, prophetic messages, Bible survey, Old Testament uh, generals, Old Testament specific Genesis, Exodus, Davidus, so on and so forth. So, <clears throat> and I learned things from Graham Scroggy, A.T. Pearson. I learned things from J. Sidlow Baxter. I learned things from lots of people. But I will give you this. It's taken me a lifetime to put it together. I will give you this. You can send me a check for $10,000 later. <laughs> but I will give you this. You can support Crown College later. We need it. But I'll give you this. All you got to do is send an email if your fingers aren't broken. If it is, use voice communication. I'll send you the Pastors and Christian Workers book list. And so you'll have, and you can build a library, know if you're studying. For instance, somebody said, I'm preaching the book of Acts. I said, don't do it. Don't do it. Without W.A. Crystal's volumes on the book of Acts. Another fellow said to me, I'm preaching through the revelation of Jesus Christ. I said, don't dare start it till you get Dr. Crystal's volumes on Revelation. And then there's other books. If you're going through Galatians, you've got to have this and whatever, you know. And get Campbell Morgan's four volumes on the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, before you preach through any gospel record. So on and on it goes. But it's all there. You can have it. It's yours. We had such fun. An hour has taken up no time at all. And we're going to put this online. And some of you need to recommend to people if you got blessed and helped and encouraged um, for somebody to go watch it, look into it. Now, I've made myself some notes while I'm talking of some things I need to enlarge on. I didn't even get to. I'd like you to take the Word of God and open it with me to I'd like you to open the Word of God. Many preachers are in the habit of saying, turn in your Bibles, and I want to say, turn them into who? Turn, turn them into who? You know, no, no, we're not turning in the Bible. We're opening the Bible. I had a little guy who's, who's six years old, six years old, came to me after the church service Wednesday night and said, I just want to tell you, I got saved. I said, that's wonderful. Tell me all about it. And he told me all about it. And he has Bible with him. I said, that's a beautiful Bible. He said, yes. And he had a certain pencil. And I've been in the habit for years of saying, if you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, I want you to underline this expression. And he said, I want you to know, uh, I underline every expression you tell me. I follow your sermons. Six years old. Now, wait a minute. Stick him in a children's church somewhere where they never even meet the pastor. They wouldn't know if they saw him, you know, face to face. They don't recognize his voice. They know nothing about him. They've never known anything he's ever said because you've got him stuck in children's gym, junk, jungle or whatever. And baloney. That's baloney. Teach your children how to worship God. Oh, let's have fun. I wasn't going to be mean and awful and cranky and critical and prickly today, but it's just in me every once in a while. Would all of you smile at one time? Good. And we're going to run through as many of them as we can. John Kokenzie, why don't you lead us in our closing prayer? Where are you now, John? Right this minute. He's got to be put on. Uh, we're going to put you on so you can talk. Can you, can you speak? Can you hear me? Yes. Great, great. I'm in the church building of our church here in Ouro Preto do Oeste, Rondônia, Brasil.
Now, would you say that's lower? <clears throat> uh, well, I guess it would be it would be Black Gold of the West, Rondonia, Brazil. 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 Well, how, how's Judah and the kids? They're all good. They're doing very, very well. They're doing very well. What time is it there? It's right now. It is noon. Wonderful. Would you lead us in prayer? Let's ask God to use this. Were you blessed and helped today? I was. It was very good. Well, John, you know, you assisted me in the seminary classes for so many years. You've heard everything I have to say. And I'm honored that you'd come on and be a part of this. God bless you. You have a word? Go ahead. <clears throat> oh, I'm just enjoying all of this. I, I, I like to see that in all these years, the Lord continues to work in your life and you have more to share. It's, it's <laughs> I got all these intelligent people surrounding me. They're helping me. Would you please lead us in prayer? Lead us in prayer, John. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to be together this this morning and hear what the Lord is, what, what you're doing in our pastor's life and the things that you've taught him and is able to share with us, help us reflect on our ministries and the people that you've put into our lives. And uh, we do want to have that pulpit power. We want to see you working in hearts. This is, this is the mission you've given us. We thank you. We thank you for our families that support us. We thank you for what good things you've given us even this day. And please help us to wisely put into practice what you give us, what you teach us from your word and from men of God like Pastor. It's a, it's a real great blessing. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, buddy. Give your family my love. We'll see all you guys sometime next Tuesday. Same time, same station. <laughs> God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.